63 this morning, so I'd invite you to turn with me to Psalm 63 in your Bibles, and we're going to look at a lesson out of there. But before we begin, let me ask you this. Have you ever been amazed or stunned maybe at the choices that some people make in their lives? Uh, there's a man by the name of Joey Chestnut. Uh, that's a name that uh, people hear right around this time of year. Maybe you've heard of him, maybe you haven't, but he is quite accomplished uh, the 38-year-old is very well known in his circle. Uh, he has spent a lifetime training in his competitions. He is the best in the world at what he does. He's got 15 titles over the past 16 years, multiple world records in different categories. But uh, if you don't know who Joey Chestnut is, he is a competitive eater. Uh, in 2021, last year, he set the all-time record of eating 76 hot dogs in 10 minutes. 76 hot dogs in 10 minutes. This year, he still won first place by only eating 63 hot dogs in 10 minutes, but that was still 15 and a half hot dogs more than second place. He is the best in the world at what he does. Why do some people pursue, or the things that sometimes people pursue in their lives can be uh, what we would say trivial at best. You know, my kids, uh, especially uh, you know, Parker and Mallory, they really in love watching this group, uh, this YouTube group called Dude Perfect. Again, maybe you've heard of them, maybe you haven't. And I like them too. They're clean entertainment, they're fun entertainment, they're, they're, they're uh, uh, good to watch. Uh, but they basically made themselves millionaires by putting together uh, videos on YouTube. And they, they have almost 58 million subscribers as of today. And they've, they've been doing this for a long time. But really what they started off doing was just making simple basketball trick shots. You know, they'd throw the ball over their head and make it into the hoop and record that. And people love that and they, it caught on. And so they kept making more and more outrageous videos. And they, they're even in the Guinness Book of World Records for things such as, you know, the longest shot made from the highest elevation. You know, they'd get up into the, the, the arenas or rafters of a, of a stadium and they'd throw a basketball into a hoop and they're in the Guinness World Records because of that. Or the longest blindfolded shot. Again, blindfolding themselves and throwing a shot and making it. And so, um, again, they are nice guys and that's what they're going to be remembered for for the most of their lives. But this morning, the question we want to ask ourselves is what are we pursuing in life? You know, if I were to ask the person who knows you the best in, the, in this world, what is the most important thing in your life, what would they say? Would they say it was your career or your family or maybe a hobby? Or, or, and again, these things are fine in and of themselves. But what if you looked at that picture, that question through spiritual glasses? You know, we, we often say that what we do in this life determines where we're going to be in the next life. You know, because Jesus said in John chapter 5, verse 29, there's going to be a day when uh, there's going to be a resurrection. And either we're going to be resurrected to eternal life or be resurrected to eternal judgment. And so how we prepare in this life, how we behave in this life is going to help determine what that's going to be. And so the question, again, that we're going to be uh, really focusing in on this morning is what would make a difference in our soul's desire, our soul's soul desire. And that's what David is going to talk about in Psalm uh, 63 that we're going to look at. This is a short psalm, only 11 verses, and so we'll read through it. And if you have your Bibles open to it, you might see a subscript. 
uh, right before uh, the first verse that says a psalm of David when he was in the wilderness of Judah. You know, subscripts, uh, just as a reminder, they're not inspired texts, but they were placed there by uh, those uh, uh, of, of the old time. Uh, the, these are ancient historical information, but again, these aren't, uh, these aren't inspired texts. Uh, but, but he says there again that this was what David wrote this was he, when he was in the wilderness of Judah. And I have heard that there's only really two words to describe the wilderness of Judah, hot and dry. That's the type of environment David is in when he's writing this. And we don't know exactly if he was writing this when he was fleeing from King Saul or maybe when he was fleeing later on from his son Absalom. But whatever the case was, he was in the wilderness of Judah when he wrote this. And so we want to keep that in mind as we read this, this song. I don't have time to go into every detail about David's life. You know, the, the first Samuel and even in the second Samuel and the first Kings, uh, there's a lot of information about David. But we know that he, he was a family man. He had a family. He had wives. He, he had sons. He had daughters. Now, we know that by second Samuel chapter 11, when he has uh, the adulterous relationship with Bathsheba, that things start to go bad in his life, especially in his family life. Uh, his sons turning against them and such. But we know that David was a family man. We know that he had careers. Right? He, he started off as a shepherd boy and eventually was the king of Israel. He had hobbies. Right? He played the harp. He, he wrote poetry. Again, most of the psalms that we have are, were written by David. He's also referred to as the sweet psalmist of Israel. And yes, David did make mistakes in his life. And yes, those are recorded for us to, to read about and to learn. But what do you remember David for? What I remember David for were not his accomplishments, his war victories, his hobbies or his mistakes. But what I remember David for is what Paul said in Acts chapter 13, verse 22, when he referenced him as a man after God's own heart. You know, that's a phrase that, you know, I would want written on my tombstone one day. You know, Michael, here lies Michael Tanksley, a man after God's own heart. And I hope that would be your sentiment as well. And so David is going to tell us in Psalm 63, again, about his heart's desire, his soul's desire. So we're going to consider that. We're, we're going to notice the word soul three times in this psalm, in Psalm 63. And these are three facets of his soul's desire, but really it comes down to one ultimate desire. You know, again, David did not want to be recognized, remembered for something insignificant like, you know, the kid who took out Goliath or maybe uh, the second ever king of Israel. You know, that's a great accomplishment. That's going to be in the record books forever, that he was the second king of Israel. Or even the guy who brought the Ark of the Covenant back to Jerusalem. You know, it's not those things that David wanted to be remembered by. So let's, let's read Psalm 63 and let's notice, uh, again, David's soul desire. Starting in verse 1, David records, O God, you are my God. I shall seek you earnestly. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh yearns for you. In a dry and weary land where there is no water. Thus I have seen you in the sanctuary to see your power and your glory. You know, consider first the description that he tells us about his, the, the relationship that he wants with God. How it's like thirsting after something in a hot and dry environment. You know, sometimes we sing, you know, there's a fountain free, tis for you and me. And you know how the chorus goes, a thirsty soul, hear the welcome call. 
Right? That, that's a song that we often sing at the end of the invitation when we're calling uh, for those. But, but notice the comparison that, that David makes here of how he searched for God. You know, we understand we can't go generally for three to four days without water. We need it, especially if you're in a desert, uh, if you're in a dry and arid place. You know, you're looking for water day and night. You're not taking in the beauty, but you're looking for that substance that's going to keep you alive. And David says we need that same kind of passion for God in this life. Seeking God consumes our energy. He says you yearn for it. He yearned for it. He seeked him earnestly, or maybe your translation says early. The idea of getting up early in the morning, seeking for him. You know, you're, you're walking around in a desert area looking for water, and maybe you see green vegetation in this area, and you know there's got to have been water here at some point. Or maybe there's dampness in, in the sand. And so you start digging in the ground looking for that source of water. David said, my soul thirsts for God. And can that be said about us? You know, I've got to have him in my life. You know, there's also a sense of urgency there. Uh, I'll perish. I'll perish without him. Remember Jesus and the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, uh, verse 6, when he's given the Beatitudes. And one of those, he said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. And then he says, for they shall be satisfied. You know, another psalmist in Psalm 42, and we also, we also sing a song about this as well. Uh, he wrote in Psalm 42, verse 1, As the deer pants or longs for, for water, the water's brook, so my soul pants for you, O God. You know, and I think you and I understand that imagery of thirsting and hungering for something. Because that's one of the most intense desires we have in this world. Does your longing for God consume you? As David mentions here. Or maybe it's hit or miss. You know, maybe we can skip a meal here or there, and we're fine with that. But what about our longing for God? What about hungering and thirsting for righteousness? Another passage that I want to bring up here, Hebrews, and I'm sorry, I forgot to put that up there again. But Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, where the Hebrews writer says, And without faith it is impossible to please him, for he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. And I love how the New King James says he diligently seeks him. Those, he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. You know, it's not a casual searching for God, but it's uh, God rewards those who diligently seek for him. And, you know, uh, we understand that, you know, on the day of judgment, uh, there, there's going to be some surprises. But it's not just the atheist uh, who, who will be surprised on the day of judgment. But Jesus also said in Matthew chapter 7, again, in the Sermon on the Mount, verses 21 through 23, uh, that there are going to be some who profess to, to know Christ, to love Christ, that, are, that will also be surprised that day. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, starting in verse 21, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And in your name cast out demons, and in your name perform many miracles. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Are we thirsting for God this morning? You know, if you know me, you know that I enjoy sports. You know, and I enjoy playing sports or even last night watching a game. Uh, you know, I've collected sports cards most of my life, jerseys and other memorabilia. I wear my team colors with pride, even though some of you will, will heckle me for that. Even that happened last night as well. 
but as fans, you know, at games, we, we wave our flags, we, we paint our faces, we're, we're captivated for a couple of hours, we're cheering nonstop for a couple of hours. Why is it okay to be fanatical at sporting events, but not for God? You know, is it because we don't want people seeing us as odd? See, we have no problem, again, wearing our, our caps to the ball games and our favorite teams. Uh, when we run into somebody in the grocery store and we ask them, hey, did you catch the game last night? But again, what about for God when it comes to God? You know, are we afraid to bring our Bibles out in public? Uh, are we afraid to you know, sit at the, the street corner at, on a bench and read our Bibles there? Do we bring up uh, the, the, the services in public? You know, again, if we're in the grocery store and we run into a friend, hey, you should have been at services today. The singing was phenomenal. The message was encouraging. You know, why, why is it okay to bring up, again, uh, the sporting aspects, but not necessarily God? Why is it not okay to be fanatical for things that really matter, things that we should be thirsting for, things that we should be yearning for? And maybe our soul's pursuit needs to change. Uh, if we're not thirsting, hungering and thirsting for righteousness, we, we notice first that, that David says that he had a thirsty soul. Let's read verses 3 through 5. David continues, Because your loving kindness is better than life, my lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. I will lift up my hands in your name. My soul is satisfied as with morrow and fatness, and my mouth offers praises with joyful lips. See, first David said that he longed for God. But now he says, now that I have found him, my soul is satisfied. My soul is realized. You know, have you ever been to a restaurant and, you know, you really want that one item, but when you get there, you find out they don't have it anymore. And so then you, 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 you substitute it with something else and it was okay, but it really wasn't what you had wanted. You know, David says uh, your relationship, having a relationship with God completely satisfies it's not like that at all. It completely satisfies. It's as with marrow and fatness, he says. These are the finest of delicacies. It's like a hungry man sitting down to a feast and having his hunger more than satisfied. Knowing God, David says, is better than any spiritual buffet that you can have. And that relationship to him was personal. If we took the time to count up in this, uh, this psalm, uh, all the times that David said, my, it comes up to 11 times. Or, or I, you know, I did this. I uh, want that. And that was eight times. Again, this psalm is very personal to David. This wasn't his father's faith. This wasn't his wife's faith. But this was his own. This was his. And no one could do that for him alone but God. See, God does not disappoint. I love that in verse 3. It says, because your loving kindness or because of your steadfast love it's better than life itself, he said. I remember one preacher saying that, you know, this world has many amusement parks, but few real lasting pleasures. You know, Satan has never been able to offer one genuine lasting pleasure in this life. But David says walking with God brings enjoyment that's sweeter than life itself. Have you ever heard of someone who maybe was towards the end of their life? who said, you know, I regret giving my life to God. You know, a lot of us will have regrets towards the end of our lives. You know, I wish I had gone there. I wish I had done this. I wish I, you know, I didn't do that. 
And maybe a lot of people will have regrets that, you know, maybe I didn't do enough for the Lord. I didn't do enough for his church. But no one dying has ever said, I regret becoming a Christian. You know, I regret all those Sundays I spent in worship or I regret all those Wednesday nights where I went to Bible class. No one has ever said that. You know why? Because God satisfies. See, the Christian life is the greatest life that you can live. You know, I know why I am here. You know, I know I am here to glorify God in my life. I know how to live, right? He's left us the information for us. We, we don't have to wonder. He's left us instructions. You know, his commandments are not burdensome, John says in 1 John chapter 5, verse 3. And I know where I'm going. So the Christian life, uh, living the Christian life is knowing where I'm going to spend eternity. Why is David's soul satisfied? You know, can you and I not have satisfaction knowing that I'm going to be okay at the end of it, at the end of this life? That, that God's promises are true and faithful? That I'm waiting to hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. See, in God, we have satisfaction and we know our lives were lived with a purpose. And he satisfies the longing of the soul. You know, just like when David wrote in Psalm 23, verse 1, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. There's nothing more that David needed than that relationship with his shepherd. And we, friends, we will not regret it. And then finally, let's look at the final verses in this psalm, verses 6 through 9. David continues, and again, watch for that word soul. Uh, When I remember you on my bed, I meditate on you in the night watches. For you have been my help, and in the shadow of your wings I sing for joy. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. But those who seek my life to destroy it will go into the depths of the earth. They will be delivered over to the power of the sword. They will be a prey for foxes, but the king will rejoice in God. Everyone who swears by him will glory, for the mouths of those who speak lies will be stopped. The, the final uh, thing that David says here in this, in this psalm, in, in Psalm 63, you know, again, first his soul thirsted. You know, he was diligently ser- searching for God. And then his soul was satisfied. He found it. And now that he thirsted, now that it's satisfied, now he says that his soul will cling to him. Cling to him, not letting go. Uh, this is, it's an action verb, right? Uh, it's continually, it's ongoing. Now that I found you, Lord, I am never letting go. I am going to cling to you and never let go of that grip. He sought the Lord, he found him, he refused to leave him. And again, look at verse 8 again. My soul clings to you, your right hand upholds me. You know, that's imagery of a, a toddler learning how to walk, isn't it? You're up, your, your right hand upholds me. You know, they, they, when they begin to learn to walk, they need a little guidance. They need a little stabilization. And so you put out your hand and you let them sort of use it as a guide. Right? That's the same idea here that David says, Lord, I need your hand. I need you to guide me. I need you to help me in this life. I need to take hold of his hand. We notice that his relationship with God is diligent. Again, it's diligent. It's not casual. And also, it's passionate. It's not lukewarm. And notice, David did not follow at a distance. We, we recall Peter, right? When, when uh, they came to arrest Jesus in the garden and everyone scattered. And we read about how Peter, you know, he followed Jesus from a distance because he didn't want to be associated with him. That's not at all how David is talking about between his relationship with God. Again, he says he clung to him. His soul clings to him. 
Uh, maybe your translation says he follows close behind. Or I love how the King James puts it. The King James says, my soul followeth hard after thee. It's not that he just followeth God, but he followeth hard after thee. We've all followed someone before, right? Uh, that's one of my sort of my pet peeves is I don't like, you know, driving these, uh, you know, uh, uh, caravan road trips, you know, where you got two or three uh, cars following one another. Because, uh, you know, sometimes I get the feeling that, you know, I'm paying more attention to the cars in front of me uh, that are in my group than myself and my own driving. But we all know what happens. You get on the highway and you're following a couple of cars in front of you and there's going to get tons of traffic in there. And uh, inevitably, you're going to get separated. You know, a car is going to shift into your lane in front of you and it's going to put you a couple of cars behind your, your group. And a lot of times you can tell who those people are who are traveling in groups on the highway, right? Because as soon as one changes lane, the other one does, and then they get back in, into the right lane, and the other car right get, gets into the right lane behind them, and they're bumper to bumper, and you can tell who those are who are clinging to one another uh, in, that, in that, um, that traveling scenario. But David, again, he says, My soul wants to follow the Lord. And I am going to take hold of his hand. I am going to hold on to it. I'm going to cling to you, Lord. Even if a crowd or a mob separates us, tries to separate us, I'm going to cling to you. Right? There, there's no room here for a car to merge in between you and God. Uh, because you are clinging to him. My soul is not going to let go at all costs, David says here in verses 6 through 11. I will cling. I will follow closely. To him forever. See, the, the desire of David's soul was to be close to God. It was to be close to God. He searched for him, he found him, and now he is never letting go. And David says, That is all that matters to me in this life. You remember what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 16, verse 26? For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for a soul? Friends, we cannot let trivial pursuits uh, get in our way of our relationship with the Lord. We can't let distractions that amount to nothing get in our way of that relationship with God. We don't want to have regrets when it comes towards the end of our life of, of what good did I do for him in this life? But no, we want to passionately follow him now. Uh, to, to cling to him. And friends, we cannot neglect our soul. Right? This is the most precious item. The most precious item that we possess is our soul. And, and David's desire here, again, was to search and to find and to be satisfied and to cling to it. Seek God. Be satisfied with him. Never leave him. That was David's soul, soul desire with God. And we need to make it ours. Let's spend our lives clinging to God. And also, while we cling to God, we're influencing those around us also to thirst for God. And hopefully that when they get that thirst for him, that they're going to be satisfied. And when they get satisfied, they're going to cling to God as well. My, uh, my in-laws uh, just purchased a home uh, down in Cookville, Tennessee. And, and we've been there a couple times to see it. And uh, the, the former owners of the house, uh, he was a, a professor at Tennessee Tech. And so he had a lot of books. And because they were older in age, they didn't want to take those books with them. And so they left them in the house for a small price. I can't remember how much they paid for it, but it wasn't very much. But hundreds and hundreds of books, all about past presidents and wars, a lot of history books. 
And there were some other uh, random books. And one thing that caught my eye was a study Bible. And so I went over to the study Bible and picked it up off the shelf and started reading through it. Because I like to read what other people write in, in the notes or especially at the beginnings uh, when they have the chance to you know, maybe write some inscription there. And I, I just I was absolutely amazed at this study Bible that I picked up and read. The, the former owner, uh, he had wrote in the front of this study Bible, he said this, My kids, my children have been blessed beyond measure in this life. So now I want to get the chance to know who to thank. You know, what an admission he had. What an admission. That, man, that man's soul thirsted, thirsted for God to know to, about him. You know, I can't tell you if he became satisfied in this life or if he clung to him, but he admitted that he needed to start somewhere, and that was with God's word. And this morning, as we uh, offer the invitation this morning, and maybe that's you. And maybe you uh, are looking to thirst for God. Maybe you need to start somewhere. We would love the opportunity to study the Bible with you, to talk about spiritual things, uh, to encourage you in your walk with Christ. Uh, I would love the opportunity to help you. I know there are many here who would love the opportunity to help you, to pray for you this morning as well. Or maybe you're here this morning and maybe you've never put Christ on in baptism. Maybe you've never had your sins washed away. We know the Bible tells us that we need to hear the word of God, believe that Jesus is the Son of God, repent of our sins, confess him as Lord, and be baptized for the remission of our sins. And the Lord at that time will add you to his church. And from that point forward, we'll continue to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Jesus Christ and live a faithful life for him. If we can help you this morning in any way this morning, whether it was the prayers of the congregation, encouragement, or if you're ready to put Christ on in baptism, please let us know as together we stand and sing.